Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the Babes Talking Business podcast. Today we have special guest Maddie Thompson, aka Shani's husband, on the show to teach us all about how to become financially empowered by saving and investing. What I love about this episode is that it is recorded on Clubhouse, meaning that we're having a discussion around digital currencies, property, high interest saving accounts, all that fun stuff that truthfully no one really talks about around the dinner table. And we have some awesome guests who have joined us live on Clubhouse while we were recording this episode, who come up and join us on stage and ask some really amazing questions. Maddie traditionally had his own construction company. He was a builder for over eight years. Uh, He built multi-residential homes, luxury homes, all around the Gold Coast. And today he is a developer builder who is involved in his own project. So currently doesn't run his company anymore. He is involved in his own builds. He's currently designing, building, project managing some of his own beautiful homes, which I get the pleasure of being involved with. And what I love about Matt, maybe I'm being a little bit biased here because he is my husband, but he has taught me and all of my friends so much about the property market and what a really intelligent investment looks like. And this is just his zone of genius. So you're going to learn a little bit about what he does and what he looks for, um, his suggestions on how to get into the property market. Now, we do just want to have a little bit of a disclaimer and say that this podcast is not to be taken as professional advice. This is just a conversation around personal experience. Uh, Matt is not a financial advisor. And if you would love to, we consider seeking independent legal, financial and tax advice from a professional that will be able to help you with your unique circumstance and help you with whatever it is that you're needing help with at that time. Okay, guys, let's get stuck into it. You're going to absolutely love this episode. What if we could show you how to create an additional income stream that feels inspiring to you and leverages not only of your passions, but your zone of genius? Head over to babesinbusiness.net forward slash side hustle to download our free side hustle guide, a 40 page guide where we help you not only come up with your business idea, but help you set your rate, find your potential customers, help make your first few sales, come up with your point of difference and ensure you have a profitable business that you can scale to create a life and career by design. Babes Talking Business, our podcast, is the sister brand to Babes in Business. It's our passion project geared towards female entrepreneurs, professional women, side hustlers, those with a day job, and those full-time mamas striving to build their empire on the side. Whether it's a traditional or non-traditional business, investments, startup, companies, or online social media influencers. Our podcast is a safe place where women can be vulnerable, honest, and tune in to be educated and supported to learn about the ins and outs of business, the highs and lows, and feel comfortable to talk about finances and multiple streams of income, along with the lingo that often comes with it that intimidates and prevents a lot of us women from approaching these subjects altogether.
We not only mentor and encourage fellow entrepreneurs tuning in to build their own successful businesses, but teach them how to build confidence in themselves, reconnect with their why, let go of jealousy, and ultimately learn the power in connection because at the end of the day, that is what life and business is all about. This is a no BS podcast where we are committed to showing you what really happens behind the scenes of businesses' pretty highlight reels. So you can be reassured you are not the only one in the trenches. And we can hopefully empower you with ideas on how to run your life and business in a way that feels energizing, inspiring, and authentic to you and your mission. We are your hosts. I'm Shani Thompson. And one of my biggest passions and missions in life is to revolutionize the way that women create abundance, to show you you can really have it all and create your next level wildest dreams whilst being in a total state of ease and flow. I'm a blogger, a coach and mentor to thousands of women around the world, a professional network marketer, a course creator and above all, I'm just your everyday girl next door. And I am Lauren Kerr. I'm a published author, life and mindset coach, and professional network marketer. When I was studying my psychology degree, I stumbled across the term life above zero, which became my personal and professional mission to inspire others to create a life that they love instead of just settling for mediocrity and just doing what society expects you to do. I love helping women find clarity and fulfillment in their lives, relationships, and careers. So... On that note, let's talk business. Welcome everybody to our Clubhouse Room slash podcast episode. We've got the amazing Maddie here with us. And this is Maddie's first Clubhouse speaker gig. And it's also your first podcast, isn't it? First podcast. It's pretty much my first speaking gig since high school, but my leg's a bit more steady. <laughs> And Lozzie's here too. She's just doing a thing in the background. Okay, so um, we just want to let everybody on the line know that we are recording a podcast. So any questions that pop up for you, um, if you don't want to be produced on the podcast, you um, are more than welcome to stay in the audience. But if you don't mind, please pop your hand up as questions arise for you. And um, we're going to be talking today all about becoming financially empowered by saving and investing. Now, um, Maddie, maybe we can start with a little bit about your backstory so everyone can learn a bit about you and who you are and, yeah, where you come from. For sure. Um, where do I start? I think probably the start of the story when it was probably an identity that I had for the first few years um, in business is that I was a high school dropout. I did terrible at school. It wasn't my, uh, definitely wasn't my thing. Um, I left, you know, like I said, year 10 uh, to do a trade. Um, a couple of years later into that trade, I was um, very fortunate to be put under a, um, a weapon of a site supervisor who trained me up. Um, so a couple of years out of school, I was supervising a $10 million project. Um, and then two years after that, I started my own business at the age of 21, 22. So uh, I've been in business since an early stage, early age, I guess. Um, in construction, grew that to be a, um, I don't know, I think I delivered more than about 55 million in projects under my own banner uh, in about eight years. So um, yeah, I learned a lot of lessons through doing that. So throughout the journey, I was able to save quite a bit, um, get into some rental properties, start investing and um, yeah, learn a lot. 
It's it's been epic because obviously I've only known you and Shen for the last five years now. It feels like forever, but I've actually been really inspired just like how you guys create wealth. But you're you're so smart with it, and I know property's been your one of the vehicles and how you did that. I know from you sharing your story, like you kind of just learnt being in it and around it. But did you ever have those conversations around wealth creation or saving as a child, or how did you? Because I don't feel like many people are taught about wealth creation, especially at school, mm. and unless you have parents or people around you who are mentors in business and you don't have that exposure to it. Like, how did you even want to, you know what I mean? Like, how did you start? What made you want to start? Did you have people around you to kind of show you the way and have those conversations with you? Yeah, I think um, it's probably another story for another day, but I think there's probably a, a deeper reason why they don't teach money in school, but that's probably another topic. Um, but yeah, so from a really early age, I was exposed to um, financial savviness, I guess. Um, when I was in my teens, um, my parents gave me the opportunity to put my savings at the time. So I think it was a couple of hundred dollars into one of their um, development projects. Um, but it was, it was more so around teaching me about finances, I guess. So um, I was able to put the money in and I'd go to the site and they'd be like, see that rock of bricks there? That's what you, you know, that's your contribution to this project. That's so cool. at the end of the project, I think, they, you know, they doubled my money or something. So they kind of drilled it into me pretty early. I suppose it's like uh, capitalism, I think. Yeah. But um, financial savviness or whatever. Um, so that was my first exposure. So then uh, a couple of projects after that were it's compounding. So I was put there, you know, that $600 straight into the next one fortunate enough to get 1200 out of that one so every deal you don't double your money but I think my parents were just trying to teach me a uh, invaluable lesson that's so cool I, how old were you when that yeah. happened I think I was like 12 or 13 when like, we started that in itself like I wouldn't have even been taught about investing in property or even investing I think until I was like 18 I was heard about it but no one even sat me down to educate me about it yeah I think I think um your savviness and your like your knowledge that you have in what you do actually stems from your parents just being absolute legends and doing that. Yeah, I haven't been able to sort of articulate it. Yeah, I spent a little bit of time reflecting on, on what it was that they did. I must sort of sit down and ask them one day, but all of my brothers have their own businesses. They're all pretty successful. So I think uh, I think it's something that they did, maybe something in the food they fed us. Mm. Even energetically, because I think even our age, you know, there's a lot of people who still have this fear around money and investing it and especially in the property. It's like you learn from a really young age not to be scared of it. Like it's not bad debt. Like, you you know what I mean? Like, I think just that attitude towards yeah. it, you're open to it. There's a yeah. lot of people who are still too scared to go anywhere near it because they're not, they don't understand risk. Yeah. I think, again, it's another parent, a lesson that I learned from my parents when they were, when I was about 16, um, they almost lost everything. So GFC... Uh, pre-GFC couldn't sell the stock that they had mm -hmm. um, bank basically started to um, like letters of demand so they paid the pay the interest and then they started just liquidating assets just to get the banks off their back so I saw them go from being uh, losing a lot essentially mm. um, but I think that ingrained lessons into us as their kids as well um, but yeah I think I think one of the biggest lessons is you've got to swing the bat don't be afraid to fail because I think my my lessons and where I've failed um, are my biggest lessons. Um, where it's financially hurt, I, I, I learned pretty quick. Yeah. So, yeah. I remember... Um, you swing the bat. Totally. You've got to be in it to win it, right? Yeah. I remember a deal going sour <laughs> not long ago. Um, 
I think when we first got together and then like in hindsight a few years later you said the coolest thing you said something like like even though that lesson cost me so much money it's actually made me tenfold yeah so this is as we started to scale the construction business that I was the um the owner of or the director of and um we did it was one of our first bigger projects and there were two pretty senior uh, experienced guys and it was our first big job so I think we were just uh right for the picking for them I think but <laughs> come to the end of the job I think it was a three three and a half maybe four million dollar job um they had banked up like a counterclaim against us at the end of the job it turned south and I think I remember being served a letter of demand or a, some sort of legal letter from them in the range of 560,000 <laughs> so I'm there I probably only got I don't know 100 200 grand to my name or something if that and I've got this status, so I'm like, oh, shit, this is, this is pretty gnarly. Um, so I was kind of the, of the opinion to work through it, yeah. do good. I think their strategy in the end, um, which is this business, it, it can get pretty gnarly um, in the right industry, I guess. But the lesson, they just wanted to save. You know, I think they ended up pulling back 140 grand or something like that, which just meant there was no, nothing really left in the job for us at the end. Um, but like Maybe just paid wages. But what I had learned through that process and the legal stuff I had to go through and the aggressiveness of contracts and all that sort of thing, uh, we were pretty savvy. Um, but I think what we we, had to, we learned a lot. And then the following two, three years, we probably made, I think one, I think in six months we made 500 grand. And then the following, we made a, we, a lot of profit. So yeah. we, we had far surpassed what it cost us, but... Yeah, it was a pretty rough six, seven months. But those lessons are th- lessons that you couldn't have learned anywhere else. And I guess you you bring them on with your... When you're investing now in things and looking at property, you just... You know things I don't know about. I just I just sit to the side and I'm like, Maddie, you do your thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think the lesson there is you've got to... Just don't be afraid to swing the bat. Don't be afraid to have a go because if you stuff up, you're going to learn. And if you don't learn... Yeah, I don't know. You, you need to reflect on what happened and learn from it. Yeah. Don't think that you know everything. Just always be open to learning more. So let's talk about um, saving and investing because that's what this clubhouse room is all about. It's what sure. this podcast is all about. And I'm sure many people in um, the room and listening to this really want to know about what – if there is someone who, you know, they, they get that they need to make – have their money making money for them – maybe like an additional income stream or they need to somehow like the amount of hours that they do are currently like they just cannot work anymore having a second income stream and preferably one that creates a residual income is a smart way to go but for those who are on the line who they they just don't know where to start like what would be the first piece of advice you would give them yeah I'll probably summarize it into like three steps which is the first one would be consume less than you produce um the second step would be saving a a minimum of 25 percent um and if we're not doing that then we talk about that later uh and the third step would be investing so the first step i'll go into more detail that but consume less than you produce so produce i imagine like i can explain it as it's, it's your income uh if you're consuming that's your expenditure so probably the first tip would be to to audit your statements audit your spending go through you know look at your bank statements Netflix or whatever if you're spending too much money uh, on at the cafe or whatever pull it back so basically audit your expenses um, 
And how regularly do you think you should do that? Because I know some people, like, they do it once and they're like, oh, cool, like, I'm good now. Like, mm. I know we've got our own ways of, of doing it, but how often do you think people should be auditing their spending? If you, if you haven't done it yet, I'd say do it, just do it this weekend. <laughs> Get <laughs> it done. Um, how regularly? Well, we do it every quarter. I'm kind of in a bit of a habit now, pretty good yeah. routine. Every three months, just... Is that what you do, Lozzie? Yeah, I do the same. Hmm. I feel like it's smart just because things... Like, you, otherwise, you kind of just get used to a certain way of spending and living and you haven't really been like, oh, have we got new expenses that have popped up since yeah. then? Or has our income gone down since then? Have you had a kid since then? Have you got a new car yeah. since then? Yeah, well, when we did it at the beginning of January this year, we were like, whoa, we forgot. Like, we had three extra new subscriptions <laughs> that we had. Yeah. We're like, whoa, we forgot about that. Yeah, so it's constantly, constantly be on it. And, you know, it's those little things that creep up that all of a sudden you might not be using that software or you might not be using whatever that subscription, mm. whatever. It might be serving you either. So when you say consume less than you produce, you're talking about like buy less than you make, obviously, like spend less than the money you're bringing in. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise you're going backwards. Yeah. Of course, that makes sense. So no matter what, even no matter what income you is, just by step one, you should be getting ahead just because you're making more than you spend. You should be able to put some aside every week. Love it. Yeah. And so, then the next step would be saving. So ideally you want to be doing a minimum of 25%, but if it's the first time you've gone through an audit, it's, it's probably more so the habit of saving something. So mm-hmm. if you can save 10%, 15%, if you can't save that, uh, you know, even if it's 1%, even if it's a couple of dollars a week, it's more so that habit of getting into saving until you can build that up to that 25%. And that's probably, I think there's a lot of content out there that talk about the budgeting and that sort of thing, but people don't really talk about how you can produce more, which mm. I think is really important about with like what you guys do. Mm. I, I think that's what actually got me onto network marketing in the first place, because when I was working child protection, I was like, in a lot of people, they're in, they're on, they're in jobs. Like it's not like, I can't say, Hey, I want to make more yeah. money. I'm in a nine to five. And I was like working 10 hours a day. And I think that's what got me curious. Well, I can't work any harder. I can't make any more in this job role. So that's where I started looking, well, how can I make more money? And I guess that's where I was doing the life coaching or I came across babes in business. But that's where I think what makes people go and look for second incomes because you, when you're at that point where you're like, you can't negotiate your wage. Yeah. You've got to compete with colleagues to get a pay rise. Or you're literally, you're, you're at capacity. You can't work any more hours. And like you said, if you still can't save, you can't decrease what you're spending, you've done your audit, and it's about, well, how can you make more money to be able to save that 25%? How can you bring in more than you're spending, essentially? Yeah. And then then that brings up a whole other range of next steps where if you're doing a small business or you're running a company, you actually create tax deductions with that through your everyday expenses. So things like your phone bill now become a tax deduction. Mm. Your internet, those sorts of things, a portion of your car, like, you know, get, see a good accountant, sort that stuff out. But I think it makes it very difficult for people that are on like standard salary or wages. Um, or I think in, in America it might be called like a W1 or W2 employee. Yeah. Um, it makes it very difficult for them to get ahead. So I think by having a small business or side income or a business or a company structure, it makes it easier to cut back some of those um, things. You've just got more advantages. I think we had a podcast episode in that earlier in the Babes Talking Business show. If you guys want to go back, I think we worked out like even on average, just by having a business, it was $5,000 you end up saving. There's a really cool stat she shared in that episode about what the just general household income is. I think it was Courtney Epps. Yeah. yeah Courtney Epps. Yeah, such a good one. And I actually remember, I didn't know this theoretically, but I remember experiencing this the first year in our business when I looked, I was making the same income I was making in child safety in my side hustle 
but because there's so many things that were tax deductible, I ended up making more because I was paying less tax. But I didn't, no one told me about that until I was in it. I was like, well, hey, I still would have been using my internet anyway. Hey, I still would have been using my phone anyway. Yeah. Hey, I still would have been driving my car anyway. Still would have had that app on my phone anyway. But now I get to claim it's a, a portion of on tax. Yeah, so probably recommends having a good accountant. I wouldn't be seeing the, the guy at the supermarket that's $79 tax returns. <laughs> that's got a pop-up store. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not a good sign. Spend good money on a good accountant, get good tax advice, get good structuring advice. If you guys want to um, learn more about how you can use tax strategies go to episode 47 of the babes talking business podcast we interviewed an incredible accountant who's actually in the network marketing profession um multi-millionaire just is such a good episode it was a goodie so okay so step one is consume less than you produce step two is save minimum 25 percent. so then step three is to well, how much, part of that saving as well is, is before you get to step three. So you want to save, I mean, this is not a financial advice. It's just a general discussion about mm-hmm. maybe what you could do. Um, do your own due diligence with that, I guess. Disclaimer alert. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so I would recommend saving a minimum of three months of your living expenses or your, your income. Um, and then once you've got that saved, save a further three months. So you've got a total of six months there. And then you've sort of earned the right to invest that second three months worth. So you've got three months to play with. So at any given time, you've got three months of security there or backup. Mm -hmm. And then, you you know, you're starting to invest that. Yeah. Okay. So um, just to make it really easy to understand, let's just say on average, someone earns $4,000 a month. They want to have $12,000 in savings in their bank account as a, like a security blanket, so to speak, security like insurance. Um, and then you want to save another twelve grand because that's another three months worth of income. And once you've got six months worth, so what, that'll be $24,000, you can then invest half of that because you've earned the right. So you've got three months sitting there in case something ever happens, you lose your job, an injury happens for a rainy day but then you've got another three months that now you can get to play with 24 grand you get to play with invest in 12 12 just saying that if you do have that three months safety buffer um you're ahead of more than 75 percent uh, sorry 25 yeah. percent of australians because i mean the guy next door to us has a, a small bank uh, I was talking to him in the surf, and in, and the number is freaky. He said, "Yeah, twenty five percent of Australians are week to week. So if you can save that three months, you're already ahead of twenty five percent of the nation." And I think that figure is scary. I think it's even higher. No, it's that. higher than I think that. It's the other way around. I think seventy five. It's seventy five. I think yeah. only twenty five percent actually have more than two weeks worth of savings. Okay, there you go. <laughs> My stats are out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so true. Okay, so we've gotten to this part now where we get to talk about, well, what do I do with my $12,000? And I'm just saying hypothetically $12,000 because that's what the figure we're working with right now. Let's just pretend like the average income, four grand a month. Um, three months is 12 grand. Now I get to invest that. Where do I start? Hmm. It probably depends on what your experience is or where you're at. I mean, if you've got no experience, why are you going through that? process of saving um i'll probably read a couple of books to start off with Mm -hmm. um, before you invest and just do the basic um you know educate yourself um 
How did you learn? Yeah, like how did you learn about investing? Was it just through books and like what books helped you? Or did you do courses or did you have someone sit down and say, this is what I did? Yeah, I first went to a financial planner or advisor because I didn't have the, the time because I was running mm-hmm. my own business. Um, and with the money that I had with him over the duration, I think um, he made about on par or just a, just a bit less than I did. So I probably wouldn't recommend going to a financial planner. I mean, get your own professional advice, but mm-hmm. I'd educate yourself first. Um, probably a really good book to start off with with that. It's probably um, Unshakable by Tony Robbins mm. um, or Barefoot Investor. He's got some cool basics, but just learn the basics through that. Yeah, cool. Um, and so maybe let's talk about, I know a lot of people want to get into the property market and it's for, for many people, it's such a long distant reality for them. And for many people, it's not even in their realm of possibility because it just seems so far fetched. What I know we were having a chat with some friends the other night who were like, okay, we're ready to get into the property market. Like, where do we, what do we do? Maybe you should repeat that advice because I thought it was really valid. Yeah, I think the reality is it's probably not really that far fetched. You probably haven't educated yourself to what's available as mm. far as getting started. Um, I mean, for example, let's work with that 24 grand that you said earlier on. Um, so in Australia at the moment, there's some incredible uh, government stimulus or government-backed first home buyer incentives. Um, you only need a five percent deposit, and the government will uh, guarantor go guarantor for that second five percent uh, to avoid lenders' mortgage insurance, which is it's, it's a bit more detailed. Um, but let's just talk figures because mm-hmm. that's probably more uh, a good start. So say you were to buy a, a unit for five hundred grand. Um, from that, you need your 5% deposit, which is going to be 25 grand. So mm-hmm. it won't take that long to save that if you start implementing those strategies. Um, you're going to be left with a 475k mortgage. Interest at the moment, I think Westpac I saw last week is doing fixed for four years for 1.99%. Which is crazy. Which is ridiculous. They're giving it away. So cheap. Which is literally nine and a half grand a year. So yes, you're going to have like rates and mortgages on stuff, um, rates and uh, water on top of that, but you're paying nine and a half grand for your Own mortgage property. and your, yeah, exactly. And is that just interest only or is that paying it off? I think that's a P&I. Yeah, that, that is a P&I rate, principal and interest. So you're paying the interest component and you're also paying a portion of the principal of wow. that mortgage off. That's so good. just to put that back into a weekly rate, because I think that's like more... Um, true for people that's like 181 dollars a week <laughs> opposed to most people are paying like 600 dollars a week rent correct yeah so if you're if you're renting a three-bedroom unit and it's probably worth about 500 grand you're probably paying like 600 and something dollars a holy week rent. moly so you'd be paying uh yeah 181 dollars a week to pay that so and it's your own property it's your own property you're going to benefit from the advantages of um, the capital growth in the property but what I like further is is a good point to start it's called house hacking so what you do is you get someone in to rent a room or rent the two rooms Um, and I think I don't know what's cheap rent for a unit room where you you know share houses like 130 150 dollars a week 200 ish around that depends where it is let's just say it's like 150 bucks for a room for the week so then all of a sudden you've got two rooms rented out for $150, you're bringing in $300 from your rent, and then you're only paying $181. So say the balance of that is covering your electricity and the Wi-Fi for the place and yeah. your rates and water. So now you're pretty much living for free. 
Wow. It's crazy. And someone's paying off an asset for you. Not only are you living for free, mm. you're actually... Paying off the other guy's mortgage, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you've got something that if you continue to do, you're going to own something that is inco- not only income producing, but you've got something to show for your money. If you wanted to sell it, you could continue doing that and have someone paying it off for you. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely some compliance little things there that you want to um, work around and risk with stuff like that. Like, I, I know if you're going to take advantage of that government incentive, I don't think you can have roommates, but, you know... Really? I'm not, uh, I don't know, check the T's and C's, but I don't know if you had a, a friend that happened to give you an envelope with a... Yeah, you like know, you have to do You stand there for free, but an envelope rocked up on the Yeah, there, on the, the things around it being owner-occupier <laughs> or being an investment, I think that's how they would right, do it. Right, right. Well, I love that because, I mean... Someone paying, let's just say, let's just say three hundred to six hundred dollars a week rent. All of a sudden, it's very realistic for them to be in the property market and not only live in a house that or apartment that's the same as what they're renting, but it's now like a quarter or of like less than what they're paying rent. They're now holding on to it. Let's say you hold on to it for five to ten years. We can't predict what the market will do, but in most cases that apartment goes up in price over time yeah in value. If, you, if you look if you look at previous property trends depending where you are like yeah i think most that i've seen it has gone up in value but you can always do researches and that's why i think with like what you just said because with the government incentive right now do you think that would only be in certain areas because i know that specifically um i had a quick look at the queensland government incentive this yeah. morning um and it's definitely in Queensland. I'm not sure if it's nationwide. Mm. Um, you could buy it anywhere. Does it have to be brand new? Could it be like... No, well, if that, that's that's assuming you're buying a second-hand property. If yeah. you're buying a brand new property, they'll actually give you 25 grand as well. So you can actually get into that for hardly anything. Like, it's, it's crazy. So it's a lot more affordable than the average punter yeah. probably thinks. And so if you sort of did that strategy, rather than paying you $600 a week, you're actually not paying anything and you've got an asset. Hmm. Which just means I think a lot of people, like you said, are just not doing the pre-work at the start. They're not having a good look at their finances. They're not making sure that they're saving more than they consume. And if they aren't, they're not starting to get creative and around, how can I generate additional income streams? Because all yeah. this, like there's so many, so much opportunity right now, but you guys need to set yourself up to be able to take advantage of it. And a lot of people just put their head in their sand or think it's too hard. Or Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think as well, like, I mean, it's not sexy having roommates. It's probably annoying, but at the cost of getting ahead, I think it's just a sacrifice that you know people need to make it's either you know sort yourself out or you'll be stuck in the wheel forever yeah so true you had so much gold before we were recording and we have we're just having some chats about things is there anything else you really wanted to talk into hmm I don't know why don't we do you want to see if anyone's got any questions yeah does anyone just quickly at that before I keep rambling (laughs) let us know guys if any of you guys would love to hear from you have you had a big takeaway so far have you had an aha or do you have any questions that you'd personally love to ask maddie um he is a wealth of knowledge i love soaking it up and chatting with him and shannon it's i love this is why i love not just our podcast but having clubhouse because these are conversations that we we get to have every weekend like when we're all hanging out i think people don't they don't get to hear this kind of stuff if they're not surrounding themselves with these kind of people. So mm. it's an opportunity to have an open conversation and an honest conversation and don't like, it's okay if you don't know stuff. Totally. And actually I can see that we've got someone here with their hand up. So I'm going to bring Re to the stage. One second, Re. Hello. What's up, Re? Hello. <laughs> 
I have a question around cryptocurrency. I saw that you are a wizard in that area, and I know you can't give, like, I guess, hard advice, but is there somewhere that you'd recommend specifically to start to learn about it, like either a book? I know you recommended Unshakable, but there is, is there any courses or books or people to follow when it's specifically learning about, like, cryptocurrency or Bitcoin or those things? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I would just probably start by being aware that crypto is like highly volatile. Um, it's probably something you'd want to only have a small amount of if you consider your whole portfolio. Um, it's super risky, um, but with risk comes potential rewards. Um, but where to start? Um, I follow a guy on YouTube and I'm a part of his um, private group called Arcane Bear. Um, I don't know how to spell that. We'll pop, we'll pop it in the I'll show pop notes. It in the show notes, but um, I've been following him for a couple of years. He's pretty level-headed about it all. Um, I would sort of just pick one person and follow them. Um, yeah, I, I would avoid following multiple people because most people will just like you get conflicting advice. Yeah. yeah. So I really like him. He, he's, he's got a nice level um, approach to it, I guess. Um, but I would, there's a couple of exchanges here in Australia. One's called BTC Markets. Um, I would probably just actually go through the process yourself and, and buy your first, you know, it might be $20 worth or $50 worth. Just so you've actually gone through the process at least once of at least buying some. Um, Binance now is probably one of the bigger platforms. It's pretty secure. Um, again, and I would just do like, 20, 30, 40, whatever you're happy with, just to do your first like transaction of it, of, uh, of having a go. Yeah, I think just actually talking into risk, Maddie, like maybe some people might not know, but when you're investing in things, there's low risk, medium risk and high risk. So obviously low risk is exactly that. You're less likely to lose all your money, but it's also like a slow drip of um, income. So it's more like long term. It's something that you'd hold on to for a long time. Medium risk, um, would, would you say like stocks and shares is probably medium risk? Yeah, there's different types of stocks and shares that have different risk portfolios. But like you say, I would just step my, you know, my little toe in the water and just maybe find something stable, maybe like um, you know an index, S&P 500 index, and just get a really small portion of it to get started. Um, again, property could be an investment as well. I, I, I'm quite comfortable with property. Um, and that's a low risk. I feel that's investment. fairly low risk. Yeah, if you get a, a good, you know, in a good area where you're going to have con- consistent um, tenants that will move in. Say someone moves out, you get a quick turnaround where there's demand there. It gives you a constant drip of income. I think yeah. that's fairly low risk. And then crypto is high risk. But would you say to diversify in low to medium to high risk over time? Like if you're wanting to build an investment portfolio, would you say to have your fingers in all the pies eventually? For sure. Yeah, definitely. There are certain portions. I remember when we were learning about this like five years ago, remember with Mitch and Mills, they said like there's certain, I know there's so many different people out there who have different advice, but don't they say like a certain portion first, you should invest in low risk, then you earn the right to invest in medium risk. Then definitely. You've learned Correct. It. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about yeah, that. Definitely. I hope that helped you, Re, and you got your question answered. That did. Thank you so much. I can't wait to get the show notes to remember all of that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll flick them through for sure. We've also got Kimberly on the line. Hey, babe. Hey, guys. So exciting to. This is my first Clubhouse conversation, by the way. So this is super exciting. Pop in (laughs) your chair. Kimberly, when you're in the house. (laughs) Yeah. 
cents just to the conversation before I ask a question to you guys. For sure. So something that I, like, I learned so much from Shani and Matt and Lauren in terms of, like, finance and investing and, like, I think the thing that I wish I knew earlier was to make sure that I had, like, different accounts for different things and, like, like they said, there's different people you can go to but, like, I just, if I knew anything earlier, like, just for context, I was running a business for, for, like, two years and I only had one account, like, only had one account and it was crazy. So I really learned that in order to really be serious about saving, I had to separate those. So just that was, like, one thing if I had someone to tell, tell me earlier, that would have been that key thing. That is a really good <laughs> piece of advice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had a question for you guys because I love – uh, just listening to your journeys and I, I just look up to you guys so much as well. But when it comes to invest, let's just say there is someone who has the money that they want to invest, etc. How do you decide whether you want to put it into property or like, do you guys have a process or steps that you go through that helps you discern whether you want to put it into like an index fund versus property, etc. What are your thoughts? I was going to say, I know Maddie will have more to add, but <laughs> I know when I started investing, it was, I think it comes down to a lot of education, like Matt said, to read some books and work out what you feel comfortable investing in. But also, like we said, you should earn a right to invest firstly in low risk. So that would might be like index funds. Um, and then you can then work out if there's property, that's if you consider property a low risk, if you know, if you've crunched out your numbers, you know, there's not high risk in that. But I think it really comes down to what you feel comfortable investing in, how much you've got saved and what your intention is for it. Because if you put it like in super, obviously you can't get access that for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So if you want to, I guess it depends how quickly you want to access it and how much you have saved. And because you don't want to have all your money in something that you could lose really quickly. But if your intention is that you need it soon, then you wouldn't want to put it in a low risk because it's not going to make that much that fast. Mm. Got it. Yeah. Kim, I think, think of asset allocation, like a a cake Mm. or a pie. Um, I think to get started, you want to dip your toe in some low risk stuff. So, you know, Mm -hmm. property stocks, like bonds and stuff like that, like a more of a secure one rather than a high risk one. And again, just some research into some more stability, which ones are more stable. Um, And then, you know, as you've earned the right to invest, so you might start with doing some low risk stuff then six months later, you might put a little bit more into a medium risk stuff. Uh, once you're comfortable with that, then you, again, you might move into more um, more risky, aggressive things. Hmm. Maybe what we right. could do in the show notes too is we can, when we put the podcast up, we can actually do a list of all the books that maybe that we've read that, that we've, us three have read that have personally helped us. Because I do think it just comes down to your education and what you feel comfortable with, but it's, it's all good someone telling you something. I think that's why we love most about these having conversations. Like it's good to go get financial advice, but at the end of the day, you want to make sure you understand what's happening with your money. So like yeah. knowledge is power. So really educate yourself on those things. As well as that, like I think it's really important to distinguish what your like have a do like a risk assessment because someone who's in their 20s and 30s versus someone who's in a different phase of life who's in their 60s and 70s like they're going to invest in something totally different so you could be reading a book or listening to a podcast of someone's in a phase of life who you know maybe is in their 60s and let's just say they live till 100 the type of investment they're going to make is so different to the type of investment someone like us would do for example who are in our 30s because we have 
a longer time until retirement, if yeah. that makes sense. I, I think, you know, I think with investing, you're really in there to play the long game. You're not here for the quick money. You know, if someone says, oh, I can double your money in six months. I mean, unless it was my, my parents back in the day, but they knew I was more of a, a, a gift from them. But I would be, I'd be scared of the sharks in the water there. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's the long game. So, you know, I want to be putting my money in stuff, you know, you know, 10, 12 years that I'm going to access. So as well, like as I'm building that, um, I guess I'm wanting to, to build some financial independence as well. So yeah. have that long-term vision, um, be aware of the, the quick, the quick, the quick fixes. There's plenty yeah. of sharks in that game. So yeah. yeah, there's a lot of hype out there about a lot of things. So but maybe we can just speak into that. Like from your experience, is investing just slow? Like, is it you no? Know, a lot of people think I'll put in money here and I'm going to make a million dollars here. Like, yeah. is it gradually build from your like 10, 15 years of experience now in the game, or it's definitely a gradual build. I think it's anything in life. You've just got to be consistent. It's like just slow drips of consistency. Like even with saving. You know, you might only be putting ten dollars away a week, but you know, whatever that is, you know, it's five hundred bucks a year. Uh, if that's a position, if you're putting, you know, a larger amount, if you're able to put a larger amount away, it slowly builds. So it's like going to the gym. You don't just go to the gym once and expect to have a six pack. You got to go wish. every day. It's that consistency. <laughs> and again, it's it's not sexy, but when you're playing with this sort of stuff, I think if if it looks, you know, quick, sexy, I think that's a that's like a warning sign. Yeah. And that yeah, I think that's why it doesn't get spoken about or sometimes when it does it gets glorified because saving and investing it's it's sexy when you've got the money there, but in the yeah. process of saving it doesn't happen overnight. And I think even like those really basic steps you said at the start, I remember when I started implementing like looking at my money and saving twenty five percent when I was like twenty, twenty one, it didn't feel like you're making much of a difference, but within twelve months like yeah. we had a substantial house deposit there. Like it actually can compound really quickly and it might not feel like you guys are making much progress week by week, but investing whatever you might be doing or putting the money away does compound. It's just about having that discipline to keep mm. it there. and Reinforcing that habit. Yeah. I yeah. think a, a really good book um, is The Millionaire Next Door. Yeah, I that love is that one. I really book. love that. That was like a really good like reality check. Um, I've always kind of liked that undercover like brother approach like, like, I'm rich, but I don't wear shoes and have holes in my T-shirt type of vibe. Is that what you mean? Yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah, when yeah. I first met Shannon and Matt, um, a word that they used to always say was frugal. And Shannon's like, I'm sick of Matt being frugal. And I was like, what do you mean? And then I read this book that they'd recommended, which is The Millionaire Next Door. And it's been such a good book to keep revisiting because I think even as you start making more money, you get tempted to upgrade mm. your lifestyle. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it'd be really nice to have a new car. And then I read Millionaire Next Door. I'm like, no, I don't need the car. <laughs> <laughs> You don't need this shit. I mean, you, you don't need to spend money that you don't have to impress people that you don't like. I think that's a pretty common thing, you know, with Instagram and stuff like that. Like, I mean, unless you're, you've earned the right, like, you know, unless you're clearing after tax, you know, three, four hundred grand a year. I think when you're in these young stages, you get a really good opportunity to set yourself up long term. Then by the time you're like, whatever, whatever age you are, say 10, 15, 10 years from now, when you do have kids or when you do have grandkids or whatever it may be, you've bought yourself more time. And I think mm-hmm. time is also an investment as well. It's an asset. It's something that you can't get back. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think we can even lead with time is an invest- you know, time is an asset. Yeah, I like that. Never heard you say that before. Yeah. <laughs> what else we got? Kim, did that help you, honey? 
hundred percent. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you. I actually want to talk about two things, Maddie, because I, I want to make sure we cover this. Um, first of all, and I'm just going to say both of them, but let's start with one. I'd love to talk about how, what, like how you created your, um, I guess your property portfolio to what it is today. Cause I sort of like, we've been friends for a long time before we were together. And I always remember like you were the only kid in our social circle that had his shit together. (laughs) And I was like, oh yeah, that's my friend, Maddie. He's got like, he's got property, he's got his own thing. And like you said before, you had property quite young, but then you turned that apartment that you had in Broadbeach. I think I remember you like the value of that apartment went up over time and then you used the equity of that apartment to then invest and you, you did a duplex and then that's now two houses that you built and then you sold those two duplexes and then you went on and like over time your, I guess your net worth or your assets grew because you were just really smart about that. Do you want to talk into that a little bit? Yeah, I think you pretty much wrapped it up pretty well, but I think where it started was I was actually able to save a little bit more because I was living at home. I was, I was 19 um, or whatever. I, was, I started saving quite young um, with the intention of buying a house uh, or buying a property. And at the time it was a unit. So I bought my first unit when I was 20, 20, 20. And then um, I think I had, I don't know, 40 grand savings or something like that. Um, and then what I was able to do, I was in the building industry, so I renovated that property. I had friends living with me at the time who actually helped, you know, soften the mortgage as so well. So you were house hacking. I was house hacking. <laughs> I was, before house hacking was actually a thing, it was, it was something that I was actually able to do. Um, we did a really light renovation on that. Um, and then we, I drew on the equity from that. Wait, what I, does, what does that mean for someone who okay. doesn't know what that means? So I had bought the property for 340,000, I think it was. I think I spent about 15 grand on the reno. Um, but little while I, and then I got it valued at just under 400,000. So, so you made 55 grand or something, 45 yeah. grand, um, in equity. So then I was able to then... So what does equity mean? So say the value of the property was <laughs> worth 400000 I had only I only had into it, what, 355000 So I've got 45000 there that I'm now able to access... Like monopoly from money. ...from the bank. Yeah. Correct. I think it's uh, usually it's these terms that intimidate people and to yeah. not understand properties, really dumb it down yeah. so everyone can understand. Yeah. So for example, I basically had... It's kind of like... How do I explain that paper money, the equity side of it? Well, actually, I, I explained it really well the other night to our friends. So equity is like, so like you bought something for $1,000 and then a year later it's worth $2,000. You've now got an extra $1,000. It's not physical hard cash in your hand, but the bank goes, hey, you, you have valued at. Yeah, you have an extra $1,000 to play with now. So then you take that money, that extra money, and you go, you can buy another investment property with that equity, with that, I, I like to call it pretend money, but it's not pretend. Yeah, correct. It's, it's so what I was able to do with what Shani just said is take <laughs> that and buy, uh, I bought a block of land. Um, and then what I did with that block of land, it had a DA for a duplex on it. What's a, a DA? DA? Oh, shows up. <laughs> this is what Maddie does all the time. This is my conversation with Matt every day. I'm like, wait, what does that stand for? So, <laughs> okay, so it had a development approval in place, which means it had like, 
the local council had zoned it so it could have you know approved duplex on it so two dwellings two buildings okay so ask a quick question here yeah. so if you're looking for doing something like that do you have to look at a block a block that already has da approval if you're going to put a subdivision like on it no you definitely don't so you'd have to you could look at a block buy it and then ask see if it's going to get if you can get approval but if it's not then you can't do the block and you bought it for no reason You'd probably figure out before you bought it if that was your intention. So you'd, you'd get could, advice yeah. before you bought it. You could connect with the council and be like, hey, this is my plan. Could, is it zoned to do that? Could yeah. I do that on there? Correct. Yeah, you you'd probably it. want to see a town planner or a um, okay, not the, the council. council. Oh. So, anyway, so back to what we were saying. So we took that money that we had created <clears throat> in value. We bought the block of land. We then actually sold the unit um, for 415 I think. Then I rolled that profit into the um, the duplex so we built that duplex so 12 months later we moved in so and then you have two houses two houses and then here we go with the equity again i think that created about 250 300 000 in equity in about 12 months so from that initial purchase to that 40 grand equity so from that 50 let's look at it this way from that 15 000 i put into that reno we're, after our second deal, we were able to essentially turn that into 250. That's cool. And it just shows like how it just started as a 20 year old saving the first amount for their first property. Like it's then about being smart, compounding it, reinvesting it, mm. um, and yeah, doing what you've yeah. done. So then we just kept rolling that for a few years. Um, and I guess, yeah, I probably made more money in the last few years than I did when I was working and is that being a strategy company. do you like then have one buy one sell it and then reinvest or do you do you hold them or do you have a strategy or you just kind of work it as you go it depends it, what the market's it doing it depends on what the market's doing it depends on where we're at as well um we're probably looking more at build and hold now and uh, to start a more of a portfolio but we kind of had to get over that hill of getting a bit of money behind us to then get in that position. And so I'm just going to keep asking questions for people who are trying to understand. So if you, the intention of building and holding is that if it's positively geared, it's bringing you money at the each week, or is it because you're hoping over time it's going to be an asset or you're hoping for capital gains? Like what is the intention of building and holding? Everything you just said. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had, um, if you'd built it, you've already got equity in the deal, but essentially if you built and hold, held it, you'd be able to uh, have renters in there. So it's constant weekly income pay down the mortgage the underlying asset being the house itself is going to go up or likely to go up in value mm-hmm. as time you can create equity there and then roll that into another deal and because this is where i guess i, I love these conversations because they're not taught about at school and i think it's probably not until the last few years i've been able to have friendships like you guys who are investing and do these kind of things but like can you even talk into um like let's say you do what you did you had the subdivision and you, you you've done your duplex sorry you've kept that and then you rented it out. Let's say you've got renters in there. It's positively geared. So what that means, guys, is after you pay for all your expenses on it, so like your rates, council, whatever you have. Mortgage. Mortgage. You still, it's, you still got money coming in, so you're making cash each week. That's what positively geared means. Would you recommend people then doing like, like principal and interest or just interest? at that point because you can make it even more money week by week or what would influence you making that decision yeah so it probably depends on where you're at and like what stage of life you're at but my intention from the start was basically to get as much money out of it as I could and roll it onto the next deal so I wasn't interested in paying down the principal so being a loan itself so I was paying interest only um I've only just shifted recently to doing P&I deals yeah and so what 
what would you consider when making those kind of decisions? So you've got to go into property with the intention of what you want to get out of it. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go and buy, buy a house and be like, oh, I kind of, I'm going to want to live here. And then a year later, and be like, oh, I want to knock this thing down and then build a duplex on it because I heard this guy talk about it in a podcast. <laughs> and then, oh, hang on, no, we're going to live here. Oh, we're going to renovate it. And then, oh, no, we're going to renovate it. And then a year later, we're going to knock it down because you, you're not being smart. So I would just go in with the intention before you start, like really plan out where it's going to be in the next 12, 18 months and then just start to execute it. Yeah, because I think that's the kind of conversations that's helpful too because if there's some people who are here saving and they want to do like what you said, they're saving their deposit and they want to buy that first house, they're taking advantage of government initiatives where they only need 5% deposit, you still go into that thinking, hey, what's my aim? Am I buying something because I want to live in it for 10, 15 years and like I'm going to pay mm. rent anyway and paying off an asset so I want to live somewhere where I have a lifestyle or am I willing to buy and live in an area that I might not necessarily like but I know that it, there's more growth going on in this area and this is going to be an investment? For sure, yeah. So I guess it comes down to where you're at. You yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say there's right if you go one way or the other. I mean, you're paying down the debt one regards. But my, my intention was always to roll the money that I'd made into another deal and, and keep rolling, with, rolling mm. it on. So what questions would you get people to maybe ask themselves so they can kind of work out what their strategy should be? So it's just like, what's your chapter of life that you're in? Like, what do you, what do you want to achieve from this? Or how, willing, how long are you willing to hold it? Are they the kind of stuff you think they should be considering before, like, looking at a property? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then, like, where else your finances are at as well if you're in a position, again, like the, the house hack, if you're paying someone else's mortgage off, I'd probably recommend that you probably start there. Um, and then you're sort of living for free and then you're able to actually save up more to get into a, another deal. Um, if you've got kids, it might be a different story. If it's your forever home, you love the area, mm. you know, it doesn't matter how much equity you've created, you've, you're not going to sell it. So mm. Yeah. And that's probably the one you do want to pay down with time with your forever home. Your forever home, yeah. Okay, cool. The other thing um, I wanted to talk about is compounding interest. We kind of touched on it before, um, and this is another strategy of investing and saving and then again making more money, making your money, make your money. For someone who wants to use that strategy of investment, what would you recommend? I have a cool thing on my phone called the compound interest calculator. I don't know, do you want to have a shot at answering what compound interest is? I know we've got a really pretty picture of it in our free side hustle guide if <laughs> yeah. you guys want to look at it because I'm a visual learner and that's how I got my head around it was actually seeing the power of it in a picture. We'll just talk around figures. So let's just say you start with $100 mm-hmm. and you invest that in a very low cost um, index fund, say, and it returns you 8%. So something like the S&P 500 index, super low cost. Um, it returns 8%. So at the end of that 12 months, you probably have about $108. So then the next year, you're then taking that $108 and then you're getting 8% on that again. That extra. Correct, yeah. So um, I'm not a wizard, but it's going to be compounding on 108 rather than 100. um, This is so weird that I dreamt about this. (laughs) But did you know that $1 only has to double 20 times to make a million dollars. Boom. So that's essentially what compound interest is. Like you invest a dollar and then that dollar turns into $2 and then you in, you chuck that in and invest your double $2 again, and double yeah. it again. That becomes $4. And like in the beginning, it feels so slow and it's like this isn't working. But over time, that 
money accumulates and the interest or the, the income that you're making on that money grows over time. Because what does that picture say in the side hustle guide? I don't remember. It says, would you rather, what's the million yeah. question? Would you rather a million dollars or, or a... Oh no, it's something like, would you rather $3 million up front or would you like your dollar to be doubled over time? Let me get it up. I'll get it up. Then it comes <laughs> down just to finding deals where you get a dollar back for every dollar in, which uh, they're pretty rare. Um, but while Shan's looking that up, um, there's another cool thing that I have on my phone called the compound interest calculator. So I'll just explain what compound interest is. Um, and we actually talked about this a few weeks ago when we were walking on the beach, Shan, just talking about a handbag. And I think it was $1,000 or something. And I'm like, oh, do we, do we, take, do we, do we spend $1,000 on the handbag or do we, do we put it in an investment? And then um, so I said, well, what's, that, what's, the, what's the handbag going to be worth in 10 years' time? So then I plugged the $1,000 thousand dollars that the handbag would be into the compound interest calculator with the eight percent yeah. compounding interest and then it was like four and a half grand or something it compounded to so i said shan well what's more important to you the thousand dollar handbag now or the four and a half thousand dollars yeah in 10 years so it's about that delayed gratification okay here's the question would you rather have one million dollars today or a penny that's one cent for all the Aussies, um, a penny that doubles each day for 30 days. So like most people would be like, oh, give me a million bucks. Like I'll take it. And then some other people would be like, but wait, if my penny doubled every day for 30 days, what do you create? Well, on day 30, if you went for that option, you have $5,368,709.12 as opposed to the million that you took. Yeah. There's that delayed gratification. Yeah. I need that compounding interest. interest Every time I want to make a decision, like, do I really need it? Or what would this actually translate to yeah. in a few I'm years' sure time? I'm sure Dan's got it. Oh. Dan, Dan Don't is, worry, just call Matt. Dan is the millionaire. <laughs> He's so good crushing your Gucci dreams. <laughs> <laughs> the frugal man. All right, has anyone got any questions? I feel like I'm just rambling. <laughs> we'll we'll uh, end this room really soon. But, oh, we've got a question. We've got Deja. I'm going to bring you up to the stage, babe. Hey. Hi. Um, so this is just a question kind of piggybacking off of investment properties. So my partner, Les, and I really want to invest into our first investment property over the next like 12 to 24 months. So I'd just love to know like what I guess what would be what did you wish you knew back when you got your first investment property or even like what are like some of the most common mistakes people make when they go into investment properties so the first thing i would probably look at is i know i did use buying a unit as an example at the start and i think you know that's an okay place to start but you are paying body corporate which is there's someone that comes and vacuums the stairwells there's building insurance and stuff in that Um, but i would be looking for like a, a cheap lower end duplex where you share half of half of it essentially like so you've got one unit and someone else owns the other half with no body corporate um, because that can just slowly eat away at that sort of weekly rental return that you can get from it um, or you know that's say example at $60 that's $60 you've got to chip in um, and yes a portion of it goes to building insurance which you'll have to pay anywho um, but it's sort of it's, that's probably my first 
like basic lesson. I see Lozzie's nodding. I know she's got a unit. She's aware of the body corporate. Yeah, I, I think that's something I wish I would have known too. But I think, like I said, at the same time, it comes down to what's your intention. We didn't buy our first property as an investment. We bought it for lifestyle. But mm. if you are buying purely for an investment, there's definitely some things I would have done differently. Mm. That's a good question, Dave. Did that help? Yes, absolutely. I have to get Leslie to listen to the podcast when it comes out. <laughs> Stage as well, I'd look for a three better if you can. And then if you can get some people in there doing the old house hack, um, mm. again, like just look at the compliance. I know Les has already had a property in the past, um, so I don't think you'd apply for that first home buyer's grant, but just check your compliance on it. But I definitely look for a three better and um, yeah. Hope that helps, Deja. I have a question. Perfect. Actually. Thank you. Thanks, Dej. Um, I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer this anyway, but with first home buyers, let's say you and your partner, does, can you only have one collectively? What if you're not married or you're in a de facto, you are married? How does that work? They'll only let you have one bite of it. It's the government. They don't like giving money out. <laughs> but like... But so, so essentially, so say, um, so you're in a de facto relationship. Um, if either of you have had it, in the past or prior, they won't let you claim it again if the second partner hasn't had it. But say you're in, you know, it's a casual relationship. You might just be, you know, living in different houses and seeing each other for a couple of years and you're not de facto and you haven't put each other's names on your tax return so they don't know you're a couple, then you could probably uh, be eligible for it. Um, yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, well, I'm just thinking like a situation like maybe like Dej and Les. Like if Les has already bought it before and they go together now, like they... Could she get one? Would you reckon they'd be able to? Do, like, I'm just looking, just saying as an example, because I think there'd be lots of people who I'm just wondering if your partner has had it before, mm. does that mean you're no longer entitled to it? I'm just curious. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. if one of the two partners has had it in the for, in the past, you're technically not um, eligible for it. But the rules constantly change. Yeah. Mm. They're trying to pump up the. They're trying to stimulate the economy so that they might forego that rule maybe but i would just look at the compliance on the website mm-hmm. um or ta- talk to someone savvy that might have a way around it let's <laughs> talk about um for those listening who are like they're inspired now that maybe they don't have a property or an investment property and they really want to start um but you know maybe they're at a point where their job won't pay them enough or more or it's just going to be a bit of a slow run or slow burn for them to build that uh, deposit up. What are some ways that we could talk about in regards to creating an additional income stream for people who do work full-time but they need that extra cash flow maybe as a savings fund? Yeah, so I think the whole like ethos, I guess, around this call is, is back to those first three principles we spoke about, which is consume less than you produce, save minimum 25%. If you're not saving 25%, then you need to start to produce more and look for things like you know a side income or, or something like that. Now, I know you guys are probably the pros or more qualified in talking about that than I am. I was going to say, even that, I know you're referred to Barefoot Investor, but Barefoot Investor talks about this too in his book and talks about like you need to every year be making sure that you're increasing your income. And even if that means you're talking, if you're an employee, talking to your employer and being like, I, what do I need to in the next 12 months to prove to them worthy of a pay rise? Mm. And if that's still not an opportunity within your job, then yeah, looking elsewhere. Like I know in our side hustle guide, we have, what was it, 53 yeah. ideas on how to generate income. But I remember for me when I started, it was like just a second job. It was coaching it was um, Airbnb. It was renting out a room in our place. House hack. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I was an eBay queen. 
I sold all my stuff. Yeah, even your markets. You always close, you sell yourself oh, yeah. at the markets too. <laughs> so, yeah, that. I think the girls have a pretty sweet um, side hustle guide. Um, I don't know, have you got a link somewhere that they can yeah. find this in the show notes or it's babes in babesinbusiness.net forward slash side hustle. And we'll pop it in the show notes as well for the podcast, guys. Yeah, and I guess um, I, I love like what we've created so we have a business that generates cash flow and then together we we use that cash flow as our money to invest in things as well so maybe getting your partner to listen to this podcast and you know you guys brainstorming about ways that you can do that um whether it's you starting a side hustle maybe one of the ideas from our side hustle guide or like what we do, we're in network marketing and that paycheck goes up every year and every year we have more to play with. So having a think about with your partner, like, okay, well, how can we be really strategic about this? How could we be smart? How can we make sure that next financial year we are earning more than we have this financial year and just having conversations like that? And I think something that really even helped me, I think we're lucky with the mentors that we are surrounded with in our profession and um, we, have, we have these conversations pretty frequently. But like you said, like when you do your audit, like every three months, I know what I personally do is when I do my audit, like I'm looking where I'm spending, but I'm also looking at my investments and making sure that my net worth is growing growing every quarter. So whether that's you looking at your savings, you're looking at your investments, because if it's not growing, hmm. it's not going to keep, like you've got to make sure you're on track for that. So make sure no matter what, you have got some kind of asset or your savings are growing is a, a really just easy way to keep yourself in check. I love it. Well, I think we should wrap things up, guys. What do you think? That'll do it. (laughs) Thank you so much for everyone who joined us today. Make sure you give Matt and Loz a follow. Um, You can connect with any of us on Instagram as well. If you've got any more questions that dive deeper into this, we always love to have a little chat there. Um, But we just want to say thank you so much, Maddie, for sharing all of your wisdom. I know we could have talked for hours. Yeah, I think the most important thing is you've just got to start. If, yeah. you have, if you're not investing yet, if you're not saving for your future, um, you've got it because otherwise, I mean, the, the government, um, the government, I don't think the way it's going, it's going to be able to fund you. So I think you've got to be able to fund your future independently and just start. Yeah, and we'll make sure if you guys on Clubhouse don't follow the podcast, make sure you head over to the podcast, Babes Talking Business, on any podcast platform. And we will link the resources that we've personally used that have helped us over the years. Um, So you guys can delve into that if you need a little bit more help and want to educate yourself as well. And we just want to say for anyone who's maybe feeling overwhelmed or like, oh my gosh, I'm so far behind, we have a really cool statistic here just to help you like feel like you're on track and you're okay. I want Maddie to share it though because it's his statistic. <laughs> yeah, so the average Australian earns seventy eight thousand per year, um, which puts them in the point in the top point zero two eight percent of global income. So that means the average Australian income, you're richer than ninety nine point seven two percent of the global population as far as income wise so which is amazing don't be so hard on yourself yeah I mean the fact that you're here listening to this and learning and growing and expanding and I'm sure you guys are now going to be thinking about ways that you can create additional income streams maybe this has prompted you to save more start looking into some properties in your area Uh, the fact that you're even here is just amazing so well done hey guys Loz here what an amazing episode 
I hope you're feeling inspired after that conversation and it's empowered you to make some epic changes and choices in your life. Don't forget to let us know if you love this episode by giving us a five-star review. It really helps us know we're on track with serving you and also majorly supports our channel. And you may even be in the running to be the shout out of the week. Every week on Instagram, we share one of our reviews with our network. So be sure to leave your Instagram handle or your website with your review so we can share you with our beautiful community. I am so excited to share with you my book, Life Above Zero. It's a book based in psychology and science, specifically written for women who feel overwhelmed, yet unfulfilled, and are seeking help to find their clarity and happiness. Women who want to be empowered with the tools to master their mindset, to overcome self-sabotage, and create a life, business, or career they love in alignment with their values and inner truth. I wanted to save you tens of thousands of dollars, years of your time, energy and heartbreak, studying psychology, getting a degree, attending personal development seminars on your weekends, and hours scrolling online looking for the right person to help. So here it is. I have condensed everything I've learned personally and professionally from working with people, their psychology, and their mindset over the last decade, and I've put it into a beautiful book you can enjoy and make your way through at your own pace. I share personal stories throughout so you can find comfort in knowing you're not broken, crazy, or alone in what you're going through. I cry and laugh with you, and you know you can always rely on me for that tough Mozzie love in there too. If you're not a big reader and would rather have me read it to you on your morning walk or on the daily commute to work, or whilst just sipping on that cheeky wine making dinner, then don't worry, you can also get my book on Audible. If you click on the link in the show notes, you'll be able to grab yourself a copy. And if you head over to my website, which is www.lifeabovezero.com.au and sign up to my newsletter, I can even send you the first chapter for free while you wait for your copy to arrive in the mail. Make sure you tag me in yours when it does arrive because I love seeing it in your hands and hearing what you guys are taking from it. Don't forget to head over to the show notes so you can check out any links, books or references that we mentioned in today's episode. And before we go, we just want to say a massive thank you. We love having you guys here. We're so proud of you for committing to yourself and wanting to be the happiest, healthiest and most inspired version of you. Now, if you think there is someone in your life or if there is someone on your heart that could really benefit from this episode, while you are feeling inspired, please hit the share button and share the love with them because knowledge is power, but only when it's shared. So have a great day. We love you guys and we'll see you very soon.